encourage you this evening with scripture uh, and with a challenge from the word of God. And so I hope that this is a, uh, this will challenge you and yet encourage you at the same time. John chapter 6, and I'll start reading in a minute. Let's pray. Dear precious Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your love for us. Lord, all I did was follow your instructions and leave America and go across the ocean to China. And yet you left heaven and the perfection and the power thereof and you came to earth, was born as one of us and gave up everything for us, even your own life. And Lord, we're here today because of your gift to us, because of your sacrifice. Encourage us, get us to think, not just our minds, but our hearts. Lord, as we seek to align our goals or our desires with yours, and that is for souls, thank you for your love for us. Guide every word this evening out of my mouth. Lord, guide the message in Jesus' name. Amen. In John chapter 6, I'd like to share with you some passages, or go read some passages with you. Let's start in verse 3. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? Whence is a good old English word for when, how, and where, all at the same time. Okay, that's what whence means. Where, when, and how. Notice he didn't say, are we? He said, where, when, and how are we going to buy bread that all of these can eat? All right, we know it's 5,000 5, men sat down. Okay, so we know it's at least 5,000, plus Jesus and his disciples and anybody else that came. And this, in verse 6, and this Jesus said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Now, what's interesting to me is it surprises me how we, the creation, will tell the creator, the power of powers, what, he can't, what can't be done. Okay, what do, I mean by that? what do I mean by that? Look at the next verse. In verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that everyone of them may take a little. Now, what does that mean? The best I've been able to study, 200 pennyworth was basically the, the common man's yearly wage, how much he made an entire year. So if you were to take, let's say, um, uh, uh, let's go low, let's go 30,000, okay, for the year. If you were to take 30,000, imagine what he's saying. If we took bought $30,000 worth of bread, it wouldn't feed everybody, even just enough for a small handful. It's not possible. It can't be done. Well, like nobody here has their yearly wage either. <laughs> it just can't be done. And then on top of it, after we tell God what he can't do, then we have this habit of getting sarcastic. Look, look what happens here in verse 7. Uh, Philip, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 8, and one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they amongst so many? <laughs> okay, now, Panera Bread has ruined the concept of a barley loaf. 
We're not talking about a barley loaf. We are talking about a roll, all right? So here's a, a young man here who's got his lunch. It's five barley loaves and two small fishes. It's boy's lunch. But what can you do with that? They just finished discussing, disgusting, uh, uh, that you can't buy enough food with one man's yearly wage to feed everybody, and then he brings up this kid's lunch. Okay? <laughs> See what I mean? First of all, we tell God it can't be done. And second of all, then we get sarcastic about it. You know, one of the burdens that I had when I was here the last time that was sitting on my shoulders was I knew God was calling me to the city of Guangzhou in China. I knew there were 20 million people there. Do you know how heavy that is on the shoulders? I didn't know any other missionaries. I knew, I knew that there was one Chinese man who, who, who had a church there. I knew there was one missionary who had started a church. But in 20 million, what is that among so many? And then there's just me. And if all I did was go around and say, ni hao, ni hao, and shake everybody's hand, I couldn't shake everyone's hand in my city before I died of old age. How am I supposed to give them the gospel? It was crushing me. Um... That, that was probably one of the hardest burdens I've had to handle when it's come to so that many, and I felt I was responsible for them. But praise the Lord, the Lord worked in my heart, because I was begging him, Lord, I, I know I'm not a, I, I know I'm not uh, Hudson Taylor. I know I'll never be a Jonathan Goforth or an Eric, Eric Little. But if you're going to, if anything's going to be done, the Holy Spirit has to go to work. And two, I need you to make me a man of God. But finally, for months after praying this and, and ending even fast in defeat and discouragement, the Lord just got a hold of my heart one day and just said, Matt, it's not the man of God. It's the God of the man. And everything started to make sense. It really is. See, we, how many of you would love to do something extraordinary for God. Anybody here? I'll raise my hand too. We want to do something extraordinary. Why? Well, in truth, when you love someone, you want to do something for them. And when it comes to gift giving, any old gift just doesn't work. Especially the more and more you love somebody the more you really want to give something to that really means. And it really, after a while, when you really love them, it doesn't matter how much it costs. Just you really want to give. And so out of a good heart, often we have this concept that we really, if we're going to give to God, he's done so much, we want to give him as best of a gift as we can. Now, some of the, the, the fights that we have sometimes are... Um, Induced culturally. And I know we want to do something extraordinary for God, but we've got this saying in America. I'm going to start it, you finish it. Go big or go home, right? That's the concept. You either do it big or just don't even try. What's the point? Right? And that's kind of ingrained in us. It's ingrained in us as Christians too, sadly. If I can't do it big for God, what's the point? I'm not anything special. I'm not, you know, I had one man come to me after I, I shared the ministry and say, Brother Man, I could never do what you do. Let me tell you something. I can't either. 
I grew up on the mission field since the age of, uh, I grew up in Africa at the age of four, all right? I grew up under a missionary. I grew up in a missionary's home. I grew up in a missionary's work. And then after that, I went into work into uh, different ministries. And then I was assistant pastor for, for almost 10 years. I went to some Bible college. I've had training after training after training. You'd think anybody. I, I've gone to missions camp. I've put together slide presentations that won awards. Yes, slides. And uh, <laughs> I, I, okay, great. And then the Lord finally says, go to China. And I get to there and I'm ready and find out none of it works. Nothing. Nothing I've trained. I don't even know how to disciple them. None of the works or the books I have, or, or none of it works. See, a lot of people will look at me and say, oh, brother, man, you're, you're, you're qualified. God doesn't call the qualified. <laughs> I am the least qualified to go. It doesn't matter what my background is. I'm ADHD, I'm dyslexic, I get lost in a paper bag. It's amazing sometimes I can preach, that's God working. <laughs> uh, the thing is, is it's not about me. It's not me that has to go and win 20 million people to, work, to, to the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit, it's God that does it. I'm just along for the ride. God did, told the Israelites, he didn't just tell them, I won your battles. He told them, I fought your battles. And I went, wait a minute, I thought the Israelites were fighting. No, they were doing what they were told. He said, go to war. Protect yourselves. This is when Moses was with them. Okay? Well, like when the Amalekites came and, and, and Moses was holding up his arms. They went to war to protect themselves. And uh, they, they were just doing what they were supposed to do. And yet God's the one who actually fought and won the battle. We often think it ha it's us. And in order for me to do anything for God and in God's ministry and in God's work, I need to be somebody. That's what the world teaches you. If you want to go somewhere, you need to become somebody. There's just common people aren't going to cut it. I'm sorry. That's not what this book teaches this book teaches that God uses the common and the uncommon to do his will. God uses the broken and the maimed and, and the destroyed and the saved sinner to do his work. Not the righteous man who has kept all of the laws. He uses the flawed. He changes them, heals them, and then uses them for his glory. See, Tonight's messages are simply entitled Bread and Boats. We're talking about bread right now, all right? Andrew says in verse 8, what are, or in verse 9, these five barley loaves, what are they among so many? Jesus said, make the men sit down. I love Jesus' answers. He's so often just so kind. He's just so patient. He just says, have them sit down. It's time for God to go to work. Do you know that this miracle possibly could have not taken place? Can anybody tell me why? What would have happened in order for this miracle to possibly not take place? What's that? Somebody, it's all right, you can talk. Uh, no, what if he was there? Wait a minute, let's talk about something. A boy gave his lunch 
Actually, a boy's lunch was volunteered. That's even worse. I mean, it's one thing for me to give you some of my food. It's another thing when somebody takes my food and says, here, is you hungry? Uh, that's fine as long as I can eat your leg or something. I don't, sharing, is, sharing is caring. He don't care when it comes to the dinner table. <laughs> Back off. Uh, somebody, what's that? The, the question is, what would have, how would this miracle have not taken place? God's always there. It could possibly have not taken place if the boy didn't give his lunch. He could have said, no, this is mine. He could have also said, I can't feed 5,000 people. What can I do with this? Nothing. So he holds on to it. You know what the boy did instead? I can't feed them, but Jesus, you eat. Here's my lunch. Yeah. All he did was just simply give Jesus his lunch. I can't do anything else, but I can give it to you. And you know what? There's the key. The boy did exactly what we need to do. God, I'm an ordinary person with ordinary things that you've given to me to take care of for you. I can't do much, but here's my ordinary. It's yours. Now, Jesus says, all right, have the men sit down. It's time for me to go to work. And he fed not only, look, look at this. In verse 11, and Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. And when they were filled, that means stuffed, okay? When they were filled, Jesus said unto his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore, they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves. Wait a minute. You can't tell me that you can fill five little, you can only fill five little baskets with torn up bread from five loaves if you don't eat any. And they had five barley, or they have five baskets full of leftovers. God went to work. Nobody looked at, went to the boy and said, whoa, wow, you really did it for God. No. Everyone looked to Jesus and said, wow, look what God did. See, that's the difference. Many times we want, sadly, that little, that, that heart inside wants to do something good for God, but also, also kind of wants God or others to say, wow, look, look what they did. If I do something extraordinary for God, who's doing it? Me. But if this little nothing just gives his nothing to God, and says, Lord, it's yours. Can you use it? Then God goes to work. See, the amazing thing about ordinary is that God can take your ordinary and he does the extraordinary with it. What's your ordinary? Do you have an ordinary home? Can you cook ordinary food? You know the best mission field that I've personally found across the world? It's the dinner table. It doesn't matter what language you can or can't speak. The dinner table does all the talking. But when you can speak or you have translators or you use your phones to translate, it's neat to see the friendships that you can build and then the questions that come later. So, who is Jesus? That's them asking. That's God going to work. You've got neighbors. I'll never see your neighbors. I will never see those you go to work with. I'll never see those that you 
I'll never see those that you go to school with. Sorry about that. Heart got a little excited there, I think. I will never see your neighbors. I will never see your workmates. I will never see your schoolmates. I will never see your relatives. I can't share with them the gospel. But you can. Oh, you don't know my neighbor. Do you know Jesus had more to say about loving your hateful neighbor than he did loving your friends? Huh? He had much more to say about loving those that hated you and were horrible to you than he did those who were kind and sweet to you and those who were lovable. It's not always easy to take the gospel to a foreign country. They, in, <laughs> where I grew up in Africa, they tried to kill us a couple times. Literally. They went after my dad a couple times, and God got in the way. That's some amazing, hair-raising stories how God wouldn't let a man come through an open doorway with a machete. That's God going to work. There's been places that don't want to hear the gospel. But praise the Lord, we're in a place where we find more and more people, they, they, they want to know more about this Jesus. And their heart is unsettled and they're empty inside and there's so much money around them, but they're empty and they want to know why. And the Lord has brought so many people our way and we've been praying that God continue to bring people our way so that we have the opportunity to share with them the gospel. But it's not because we're extraordinary. We're just ordinary people, just like you. Some people say, I, I, can't, I, I, I can't do special work. God didn't call everybody to special work. God just wants you to give up what you have to him, yourself, your things, your time, your heart. Give that to him and let him go to work. Turn over to Matthew 14. I don't move along because we need to close here in a little bit. Shortly, I should say. Matthew chapter 14. For the sake of the time, for sake of time, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but I will start in verse 22. Matthew 14, verse 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side. And while he sent the multitude away, multitudes away and when he had sent the multitudes away he went up into a mountain apart to pray and when the evening was come he was there alone but the ship was now in the midst of the sea tossed with the waves for the wind was contrary the way it talks here is that it's around dusk when jesus is sending everyone home he tells his disciples now that's not exactly said here but if you will look at the customs, customarily that would have been the way because at night robbers are out, so it wasn't safe to travel in the evening and they didn't have the flashlights like you have, all right? Uh, so the Lord, it's, it's, it's getting near dinner time. It's the end of the day. He sends, but he tells his disciples, here's what I want you to do. Get in the boat, go to the other side. How many of you, like me maybe, have spent a lot of time asking, what is your will for me to God? All right, what is your will? What do you want me to do? And so often the answer doesn't seem to come. We pray and we agonize and we beg for God's will and for, for to show me what it is. Here's the problem. We're looking at those scriptures with Western modern eyes. 
Because when it's dark outside and you go to your car and you reach or your house and you reach for a flashlight, you turn on anywhere from two to 20,000 candle watts. You can see almost all the way down to the end of your street, let alone the neighbor's houses, right? Pretty much. You, even the, the, uh, the flashlights on the phones are blinding. And that's how we see light. Do you know what the light was in Jesus' day? The Bible says, thy word is a what? A lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But we read that with a flashlight in mind. So when we go to God, we say, what is the end of my life? How you want me to live my life? What do you want me to do for you at the end so I can see and go? Why? Because uh, a man's heart devises his way, but his steps are ordered by the Lord. So, Lord, what am I supposed to do? Give me my target and I'll go there. And he just says, okay, get in the boat and go to the other side. Finally. So what do the disciples do? They get in the boat, and they get halfway, and a storm comes up. Now, some people think that Satan sent the storm. My personal opinion is I believe God sent it. Why? Because he wanted them to see God. God will ask you and have you do things for him. There's times when he will be obscure what he wants you to do. That little lamp in the Bible days had olive oil in it. Olive oil doesn't burn bright, but it's a steady oil, so it keeps... The, the flame won't blow out in the wind. But what it does is it gives you just enough light. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto the next step on my path. It's just enough light for the next step. So you don't step on a rock or a scorpion or a snake. So you, don't, so, so you can stay on the meandering little pathway. It's a different thought. What does this mean? This means that my life is not one of sight. My trust in the Lord, the one from the scripture, should be one of faith. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, enough for me to see just the next step you want me to take today. But we agonize going, Lord, show me the end of my life or show me what I'm supposed to do. And we agonize about it. My dear friends, stop agonizing. Your life was one of faith. Just trust him today. And then when it comes to commands, he will say, okay, here's what I want you to do. Remember the verse I quoted to you, though? A man's heart devises his way. It means it figures it out. God, this is what you want me to do? Fine. That's where you want me to go? Great. I'll go. But the Lord directed his steps. So, Lord, you want me to go to the mission field? You Fine. Why am I in Washington? Uh, you said to go over there, and we find ourselves complete. The disciples got in the boat, they obeyed God, and they find themselves stuck in the middle. Now, they weren't there for a couple hours. Why? Because in verse 25, it says, in the fourth watch of the night, that's three o'clock in the morning. They've been rowing in the middle for hours. We're looking at probably a good six hours. <laughs> that's a long time stuck in the middle. Do you ever feel like you're stuck in the middle trying to figure out what God wants you to do? You're trying to do what he asked you to do, and you can't get anywhere with it. It's like, what have I done wrong? Please tell me so I can do it right. He's like, you're not doing anything wrong. You're doing it and you're right where I want you to be. Why? Well, because in the fourth night, watch of the night, Jesus went into them walking on the sea. He was walking on the water, on the storm. Now, there's one thing you got to understand about this time. 
What are they in? A boat. What's it made of? It ain't fiberglass. Okay? They don't have pumps. I, where I grew up in Senegal, out on the coast, they had these huge boat canoes made out of ironwood. How they floated, I don't know. But when you'd see the thing that's sitting real low in the water, so you'd see these heads going by when you're out of the coast. But every once in a while you see the, this, these plumes of water go arcing out as they're going by. It's like, you know, whales on both sides or something. Well, you have to be in the boat to realize where it is. There's people down at the bottom, usually the kids down below, that are bailing. You don't bail, you do sink. So here they are in the storm. They're rowing, doing everything they can. These guys know the sea. They know how to do it. They've got at least one or two people in the bottom of that boat bailing. It's a storm. Water's flowing in. So they're bailing for their lives. Jesus comes walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, and they said, It's a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spoke unto, them, spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Is usually how we read that verse. Can I kind of rephrase it for you? Here's Jesus, the one he loves, his Savior, walking on the water. And Jesus see, or Peter sees Jesus doing absolutely the impossible. He's walking on water. And what does Peter do? Can I come? I want to go too. I love what Jesus says. Come on. <laughs> come on. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of a perfectly safe ship, he walked on the water. Now, this is not, I, I'm going to stop here. I don't want your focus to be on Peter. What does Peter do? Well, first of all, he gets out of the boat and he starts walking to Jesus. I don't want you to focus on Peter. I want you to focus behind him. What's behind him? A boat. What's in the boat? Can you hear the conversation? No, this is not in the Bible. But if you just take your imagination and common sense, can you hear the conversation? Peter, 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 no, there he goes again. When is he going to? No way! He's walking on water! Look at that, look at that, look at that! Go, Peter, go, Peter! Boosh! Well, duh! Everybody knows you can't walk on water. What were you thinking? Can you hear it? You know... We do this. Oh, so-and-so-and-so, -and -so -and -so -and -so. don't, don't go to the altar. Oh, there he goes again. No way. No way. He's going to another place to take the gospel. Wow, go, go. Boosh. Well, we can always tell you missionaries only last two years in the field. What were you thinking? Can you hear it? What were you thinking going into that ministry? What were you thinking even trying? Can I say this? Peter did something that no other disciple did. He walked on water. He did the impossible. He walked on water. I've tried. It doesn't work. 
There's even a sport called water walking. It's water running, more likely, and they only stay up for about five seconds. Peter literally walked on the water. Yes, he fell, but he did the right thing. Lord, help. And Lord picks him up and walks him back to the boat. They walked back to the boat together. Now, here's what I want to encourage you. Peter got an experience that nobody else did. He wanted, he saw the Savior he loved doing the impossible. He wanted it on it. And he got out of his safe zone. You really have to be in a wooden boat in a storm to understand this. It's serious but humorous at the same time. You've got people bailing for their lives trying to make sure they're not, and they call it safe. Your safe zone, your security area. May I encourage you, get out. Walk on the water for the Lord. Are you looking for your Lord? Are you watching him? Do you want to see him doing the impossible here in your city and the surrounding areas? Do you want in on what God's doing? Do you want in on souls? The only thing that really does matter is souls. Matt, you're a missionary. No, I'm a person. Do you know what a missionary is? It's a misconception. People look at me and said, the, the missionary in the room is on the platform. No. There are, every one of you sitting down is one. What is a missionary? Someone who has a mission. What is the mission? The gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost. That's all of us. I just happen to be moved over to foreign soil. But you're here. And the foreigners are all coming to you. Especially Asia. You know what? Get out of the boat. I encourage you, get out of your safety zone. Get out of your net. Will you be willing to walk on the water towards the Lord with the Lord Jesus to take the gospel to those that are perishing? For those of you who have prayed for us, thank you for your prayers. Thank you so much. Your prayers have mattered. Over the past two years, I have had to struggle with incredible amounts of depression and, and discouragement. I've never failed so miserably in my life. And it's been so discouraging because I want the language to be able to share the gospel to them in Chinese. Your prayers have mattered, but I encourage you, don't just stay in the boat. First of all, will you give God your ordinary? Just, and some of you may say, you don't know me. I am subordinary. So am I. I'm just a person in the suit that makes me look special. That's it. I'm a common person like you. In fact, don't ask my wife. She'll tell you I'm not. <laughs> it took years for this African to become American. I, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. And it's about the lost that are dying and being lost for eternity. And we have a chance Will you give God your ordinary? Will you come out of your comfort zone? Will you open up your home for your neighbors? We, we used to take cookies to the people. Years ago, moms used to take cookies to the, the, the people who came. Uh, things like that. And get to know the neighbor. Do you know your neighbors? I've stayed, uh, the house I've been in, uh, there's some neighbors I've never even seen. Do you know your neighbors? Do your neighbors know you? Not just an invite to church. But do they see Jesus Christ in you? Will you let them? 
This is not a smackdown. This is an encouragement. This is a rally call. We have been blessed. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are his family. He's adopted you. You're saved from the penalty of your sin. You have a home to go to when you die. An eternal, blessed, precious, wonderful home with love, sir. It's completely filled with love. But your neighbor doesn't. Sometimes we want so much. Our natural tendency is to live life. We want life to be heaven on earth. And then we want to go to heaven and live it there too. But the truth is, is that those on earth who do, aren't part of God's family, who haven't believed in Jesus yet, they're lost. They need to see us. They need to, not just us, they need to see Jesus in us. Are you willing to surrender your ordinary to God and let him use you however he will? And then, will you get out of the boat? Will you get out of your comfort zone? Now, in China, there's no um, personal space. I have this trick during, uh, you saw the crowded subway, that's rush hour. We tried not to go during rush hour, but I've got this trick. If it's rush hour, I'll, you know, it's, it's body to body, body, and I'll wait till the door opens, and then I'll kind of turn in sideways and just pivot inside the door. Every once in a while, somebody will pop out the other side because there's so many people in. So I'll wait till the door closes across my face, so I'm kissing glass rather than other people. People I don't know, you know, <laughs> it's just, there's no personal space. You know, uh, in America, it's all about personal space and my, my, my safety zone. My dear friends, that's just a simple way of saying that it's all about me. It, 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 it's the truth that we need to face. I encourage you. You know what? Peter didn't get out of the boat several times. He got out once. <laughs> Will you at least get out once for the Lord Jesus Christ? to watch and see what God can do. It's not about you. Peter didn't get any glory. He actually kind of failed. Jesus got all the glory. And yet, Peter still got to do something that nobody else did. Will you step out of the boat? Precious Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Again, I thank you for leaving heaven and coming to earth to save us lost willingly in our sin. Father, I would please ask tonight, encourage hearts. Or oh, I know it's the end of the, the missions conference and they probably heard a lot of preaching. Heard a lot of messages from the Bible. Lord, if we take one thing home with us tonight, may it be that you love us, but you also love souls and we're not here for us. Lord, it's so often easy to get focused on myself when the truth is, is that you're the one who does the extraordinary. It's me that just points the way to you. Will you work in the lives here tonight? Will you encourage people this evening? Not just to, I can't do this. The whole point was that we can't. Most of us, I'm a failure, and yet, you're the success. You're the succeeder. And you're the one that makes it all happen. And to God be the glory. We thank you for your love, Pastor.